Okay, if you'd like to grab your Bible and open to uh, Isaiah 49, we will be working from this passage today. Or at least we'll be springboarding from this passage today, to be honest. And the same passage that was our scripture reading is the passage we are working from. So let me read that for us again, Isaiah 49, verses 5 through 7. And now says the Lord, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. He says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant, to raise up the tribe of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations, so that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, says to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation, to the servant of rulers. Kings will see and arise. Princes will also bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. You may have heard, uh, there, you know, there's, there's things that go through Christianity, sayings that get popular and repeated for a while, and then they kind of fade off into the horizon. You may have, you may have heard it said uh, at some time in the past that if you were the only one who had ever responded to Jesus' offer of salvation, he still would have died on the cross. And uh, well, you say amen, but I'm going, I'm not sure about that. <laughs> but you remember it clearly. Anybody else that's like, yeah, I remember that, that saying. And I remember, and I probably said it myself, but at the same time, it, I always had a little bit of a hitch in my mind because I thought, what verse do you hang that on? I, it's a nice sentiment. Can you prove it? And, 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 I, and, I, and I haven't heard the phrase in a while, but it made its, its rounds. And uh, my question was, how do you, because I always like to support everything I say. I always like to be able to say, here's why it says in Scripture, or here's why I believe that, that kind of thing. And aside from saying that's nice, but is it true, and can you prove it true? And I'm not going to say it's not true. Who knows what he would have done? But I am going to say it's not possible that Jesus would die for only one, because God would not allow it. In this verse we look at today, he says, It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations. God says, you know, it's too small a thing. It's not enough that, that you're, you would only save Judah and Israel. I have to throw in the whole world just to make it worth it. Because God sees the value of Jesus Christ. I mean, God knows the value of Jesus Christ. And he knows the value of the world. And I'm, I'm amazed he even did it then. He says, it's too small a thing. I will make you a light to the Gentiles. So today we're going to look at how great Jesus is, that he is a light to all the world, and that he is effective in reaching all the world. So start the, the greatness of Jesus, just verses 5 and 6, first part of verse 6. Okay, I'm going to read it. I know I've read it, but I don't think it hurts to read God's word a little more. <laughs> and now says the Lord who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. And I want to start with the question, is this really talking about Jesus? Because there are arguments about when he says the servant, who that servant might be. Because uh, if you were a, a Jew, not a Messianic Jew, but a Jew, you might read that passage and say, well, the servant is Israel. The nation of Israel is the servant. Another one might look at it and say, no, the servant is uh, Isaiah, the guy who's prophesying, who's, who's writing these things. He is the servant. And th those who would say we're talking about Israel, back up a few verses, go to verse 3 of the same chapter, and it says, he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will show my glory. And you go, wow, Israel's called, called the servant. This must be talking about Israel. But we move to verse 5, and we see that description. Uh, 
He formed me from the womb to be his servant to bring Jacob back to him so that Israel might be gathered to him. And it, you know, it, works, it doesn't work quite so well there. And we look at verse 6. It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. And you go, has Israel been a light to the nations? <laughs> uh, Israel was supposed to have been a kingdom of priests who went out to all the world, but they never really did that. And, and there may be some effectiveness in that in the future yet, but, but it hasn't happened yet. Do kings bow down to God because of Israel? It says at the end of verse 7, kings will see and arise. Princes will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. And, and, and it becomes a little bit more difficult to be say this is arguing for Israel. Those who want to believe that will, uh, but it doesn't fit real well. The, those who would say the thing about Isaiah, the servant formed from the womb, they would say is Isaiah. He is the one. But the same questions come up. Does he fit the description of these things? Now Isaiah is an awesome book, and the book of Isaiah has been used powerfully uh, in, in, in uh, the work of evangelism, the, the passage that Dan read uh, as he did communion, and, and I'll actually look at that a little bit later, uh, has been powerful in reaching Jews with the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's, it's the gospel in the Old Testament, uh, the passage about the suffering servant, uh, and, and it doesn't work for Isaiah. And if we didn't have Jesus to offer, if Jesus had never come along, we might look at those two options and say, well, I think it's Israel, I think it's Isaiah, and you could, you could follow whichever argument you want. But I, Jesus is clearly the servant that is being talked about because we do have him to look at, and he does fit the bill. He fulfills the description. And, and by the way, Isaiah calls him the servant. If we skip ahead a couple of chapters to Isaiah chapter 52, verses 13 to 15, we have this description. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be high and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were, as a, were appalled at you, my people, so his appearance was marred beyond that of a man and his form beyond the sons of mankind. So he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what they had not been told, they will see. And what they had not understood, they will under, what had not heard, they will understand. And we have the servant being marred beyond any other man, his appearance beyond the form of a man. Uh, he will sprinkle many nations. Kings shut their mouths. It's talking about Jesus. And if we go to chapter 53, the same chapter Dan was reading from, and we'll, we're going to skip, skip most of that because I didn't want get, to get distracted. So I'm kind of glad you did that, Dan, <laughs> because it's like I, I want, it's like I, I we, and we will, by the way, we will get to Isaiah 53 pretty soon. But uh, Isaiah 53 is too rich. We wouldn't get to the rest of the sermon. <laughs> Uh, but it says, as a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify many, for he will bear their wrongdoing. And Jesus is the one who bore our wrongdoing. He is the one, and he's called the servant, the righteous one, my servant. And so the servant is Jesus. Jesus is the one who restores Israel. Jesus is the one who is the light to the world. Uh, kings and princes do bow down to him and have bowed down to him. doesn't mean they all do, but, but the question that this leads to is, is so how great is he? Because God is saying, you're too much. We can't just give uh, 
uh, Israel and Judah. You, it's not enough for you to, 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 to do this for just Israel and Judah. I've got to throw in the rest of the world. It's too small a thing that he restore only Israel. Throw in the rest of the world to make it a fair deal. In, in the 70s, <laughs> I worked at a greenhouse. I was in high school. I worked at a greenhouse, and across the street, I had just wrecked my car. Wrecked my first car. Anybody else wreck your first car? Okay, I know I'm not the only one. <laughs> I had wrecked my first car. I had a job, didn't have any money. And there was this car across the street from the greenhouse where I worked. And it was parked, and it never moved. And, and I knew the guy who lived in the house. He had graduated, I think, the year before. Uh, and and uh, I was pretty sure it was his car. It was a 60 Valiant. I, I looked it up to, to just, just to remind myself about this, this car was so much fun. And, and it said it right there. They showed, they showed a picture of one, and they said, so ugly, it's cool. <laughs> That car, it was the ugliest car anybody ever thought of making. But, but uh, anyway, so I, I, I walked over one day because I hadn't seen it move for a month. And I, I knocked on the door and he opened the door and I was ready to start dickering. And I said, uh, is, that, is that your car? And he says, yeah. I said, you know what? I'll give you 25 bucks for that car. Now, you expect the dickering to start at that point, right? Here's how it worked. I said, I'll give you 25 bucks for the car. He said, no, that's too much. <laughs> <laughs> He said, how about 20? And I'll throw in some Mad Magazines. <laughs> and so I got the car and some Mad Magazines. Uh, and uh, and it, the car was worth every penny, I'll tell you what. But, <laughs> but what was he saying? He was saying, no, what you're offering is worth too much for what you will get in exchange. Right? And, and he was right. <laughs> like, but, you know, I, I have to tell you, that's the car of my dreams. It's a car I love. Of all the cars I've ever owned, that was the one. Uh, but uh, if I ever get another one, I'm going to fix it up first. <laughs> and it is so ugly, it's cool. Uh, anyway, but, but that's, every time I read this passage, I think about that story. Because, because Jesus is, is too much, Right? I've got Israel and I've got Judah to save, but, but Jesus is too much of a price for that. Something else has to be thrown in to make it worth it. And so God says, I'm going to make you a light to the world, to the nations. And, and I look at that and I go, it's still not enough. But you know, you can't offer more than what you have. You, 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 can't, you can only offer as much as you have to offer. And all the world has to offer is the world. And, and so God takes it and, and, and he, he accepts that. How great is he? How great is Jesus? John 1, 1 through 3. Right? Some of you know this, can rattle it right off. I'm going to read it. I'll probably bungle reading it because this is not the version I know it in. John 1, 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, not even one thing came into being that has come into being. Judge John 1, 1 through 3. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. All of these passages should be familiar. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11.
have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross. For this reason, God also highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Colossians, just a couple pages to the right, chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything." For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. And one more, Revelation chapter 5. How great is Jesus? I'm sorry, Revelation chapter, yeah, chapter 5, verses 8 through 14. When he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each one holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to break its seals, for you were slaughtered. And you purchased people for God with your blood from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them into a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures, and the elders. And the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slaughtered to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. And I heard every created thing which is in heaven, or on the earth, or under the earth, Earth or on the sea, and all things in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be the blessing, the honor, the glory, and the dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures were saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. How great is he? <laughs> How great is Jesus? And we go, Wow. Your goosebumps should have goosebumps right now. The world is not enough to trade for him, he made the world. He is worth more than that. Jesus is great. His salvation must reach the ends of the earth. It must reach the entire world. Anything else is an insult. It, 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 says, it, says, it says you're not worth as much as you are. And it's still not enough. But as I said, all you can offer is what you have. You can't offer more than what you have. And he is worth all the world has to give. And, and, and so we move on from there. He is a light to the nations or a light to the world. Right? I will, it's too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light to the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is the light of the world. We read John 1, verses 1 through 3. Let's go back and read John 1, verses 1 through 4. You say, why didn't you tell me to keep my finger there? <laughs> I like the practice. 
John 1, verses 4 and 5. I'll give you a hint. I just said Jesus is the light of the world. John 1, verses 4 through 5 says the same thing. <laughs> in him was life, and the life was the light of mankind. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not grasp it. Still in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus says plainly, I am the light of the world. John 8, verse 12, Then Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. No one, the one who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Uh, and so he is a light to the world. He is a light to the nations. That's what Jesus is. And the light is shining around the world. So, so think for a minute. We in Davenport support missionaries in Mexico, in India, in Cameroon, uh, in Siberia, in the Muslim lands. I'm wearing a, a tie I picked up in China. <laughs> farthest ends of the earth. He's a light to the world. He's a light to the nations. And, and which one of those is more far-fetched than Davenport? <laughs> you go, wow, Siberia. Siberia, they're going, whoa, Davenport? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Siberia is closer to, to Jerusalem than Davenport is, though, I'll, you know, so at least I think it is. God's word is proclaimed in lands the writer, Isaiah, didn't know existed when he wrote this, right? He had no idea there was a Mexico, Right? <laughs> Let alone Siberia or Lincoln County. Lincoln County. <laughs> it's, it's really hard when you, when you look at a globe and, and you have to turn it. I mean, you just cannot do a line of sight from, from Davenport to, to, to Jerusalem. Can't be done. The farthest reaches of the world. God's word is proclaimed in lands they did not know. And the name of Jesus brings hope and salvation to people in all those places. Everything Isaiah said that he would do, it's doing. God's word is doing right now. Where is the light today? And, you know, statistics can be manipulated and do all sorts of things. Uh, but according to the Joshua Project, I got online and looked for some things. According to the Joshua Project, it says 23% of the world has virtually no exposure to the gospel. But then you have to start figuring out what they mean by percent of the world, because also according to the Joshua Project, 90% of the world population has access to at least the New Testament. Meaning 9 out of 10 people in this world have at least a New Testament in a language they can read. And that's a lot more than 28%. According to Operation World, uh, they say Christians now live and fellowship inside every country. Now, that's new. Uh, that, that, is, that is something that has been changed. I, I, again, I've, I've been talking in Sunday school class about reading these books that Randy Hoffman sent, gave to us, as, uh, Randy and Margot gave to us as a church, and, and uh, they're about God reaching Muslims. And it's just powerful to read this and see what he's doing to reach these people, as well as seeing the heroic example of the faith these Muslim background believers have. But, but Christians now live and fellowship inside every country. And, and the work is going forwards quickly. If you were in my junior high class out at Christian Heritage, you would know who the Badrawahi people are. Samuel here? Samuel is not here. Eli, oh, Samuel is here. There you go. Because yeah, Eli skipped out today, the rat. See, Eli, if you're watching online, you're a rat. So, <laughs> uh, the Badrawahi people live in Kashmir, India. 
and when the Operation World has, has historically put out a book, it's, the book, it's a basically a prayer book, it's a big fat book that tells you how the world is doing in, in, and, and gives you points for prayer for the different peoples around the world. It's a great missionary guide, but the, my, my, the copy I have, which is the most recent full copy, is, is, was put out in the year 2000. So it's, it's 20 years old. And, and the book we have that we work from in our class is copyright 2002. And according to the book uh, that we have there, it says there is no, there are no reached people in the Badrawa, or there's no, no, no known church in the Badrawahi people. And by the way, if I'm pronouncing that wrong, I'm not surprised, and you, you don't swear on my pronunciation of people. But if you look on the internet now, you can find that there is a Bible printed in the Badrawahi language. So 20 years after that book was written, it's gone from no churches in that language to a Bible in that language. And we see that the gospel is moving forward in large steps. And uh, they, they estimate there are just under 2,000 languages today that need a translation. Now, there are more languages than that that don't have, and you go, that's a lot. There, there are 6,000 some hundred languages in the world. But, but here's the thing is, because of closeness of dialects, and because of languages, for instance, when they count all the languages in the world, they would count the Spokane Indian language as a language. And I don't know if there has been a Bible translated in the Spokane Indian language, but if there wasn't, they have access to a Bible they can read anyway. And so there's much of the world that, that is not, does not have a Bible in their language, but they don't necessarily need a translation. But, but, so there's about 2,000 languages they say need a translation, and it is estimated that all those translations will have been started by the year 2035 which is not that far away. I mean, if you're young, it may sound far away, but to me, you know, I remember how short 13 years ago was. <laughs> 13 years from now, of course, 13 years from now, I'm still going to be here, by the way. So <laughs> I'll be waving my cane at you, probably using this arm because this one's getting sore. But, you know. <laughs> you know, the point I'm making, the light of the world is shining. The light of the world is shining. And he is reaching to the uttermost parts of the earth. The, the nations are receiving the light. The light is going there. And, and it is making a difference. And, and not only that, it is effective. It is effective. Back in Isaiah 49 again, verse 7. Look, listen to this description. This is what the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, and its Holy One says to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nation. This is God the Father speaking to God the Son. God the Father, the, the Lord, all caps, Yahweh, God by name. God the Father says to the despised one, to the one abhorred by the nations, to the servant of rulers, right? To Jesus who was despised, who was looked down on, who was mocked, who was spit on, who was crucified, right? God the Father says to God the Son, and, and, and by the way, that's powerful irony there, because they are the same. I mean, they, they are the Trinity, they are distinct, and yet they are the same. It's the same God. There's no, it's not like they were, are in disagreement and God says, well, I'm going to do it this way, and Jesus says, no, I'm doing it this way. They're working together in complete harmony and perfect unity, and, 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 and among other things, he's pointing out the hypocrisy of those who claim to be his but are not, because if you claim to be God but follow God but reject the Son, then you do not follow God. No one has seen him, but God the, God the Son revealed him. Right? Hebrews chapter 1, he is the perfect representation of him. 
They, and, and so they take Jesus, and while he's distant, or God the Father, while he's distant and theoretical, they say they love him, but when he comes close and personal, then they hate him and despise him. And God is pointing that out, but it's the same one. It's the same God who is despised, despised the son who is despised. God the son, the despised one, the one abhorred by the nations, the servant of rulers. He will, king, kings will see and arise. Princes will bow down because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. And kings and princes will acknowledge him. And it's not just poetry. You know, we all are familiar with the phrase, King of kings and Lord of lords. It's not just poetry. It's not a nice sounding thing. It is absolute truth. He is the king that kings bow down to. He is the Lord that lords acknowledge as Lord. And that doesn't mean they all do. There are those who think they are God themselves. You know, and there are those who are you know, somewhere in between. It doesn't, I'm not saying they all do, but, but, but there are kings and there have been kings from, from, from early times who have bowed down to Jesus Christ, uh, who have acknowledged him as king and as Lord. And, and they are people who are not blinded by their fame so much that they don't see their need. They're not blinded by their own power so much that they don't, they don't think they need a savior. Uh, they may have power, but they cannot redeem others, and they cannot redeem themselves, and he offers the redemption that they need. And, and, and by the way, mentioning kings is for effect. It's, it, it's, it's not say, he's not making a big deal. Look, I, I save kings. He's saying even kings, meaning the kings, and by the way, all the normal people too. <laughs> You know, it, all, all the normal people are automatically thrown in and, and even up to the kings and the people who think they're really something. Uh, everybody is included in that. And the kings represent lands, and the light has not only reached the, end, reached the ends of the wor- world, but it has transformed the ends of the world. And if, and if you say, well, is it really? And you can look at places and you go, go well, they're living in darkness, they're living in pain. I'm sorry, but we really are the end of the world. <laughs> we really are. And it, talk, is, is, has our part of the world been transformed by Jesus Christ? You go, yeah, I guess it has. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, the world has been transformed by what Jesus Christ has done. But I have to ask a question because we have to be honest. Then what is happening? Because people are rejecting the light. Europe was once a, a stronghold of Christianity, and now it is what they call a post-Christian world or post-Christian continent. The United States is following quickly on its heels a post to become a post Christian continent, then what has happened? And you know, last week I, I went to John 3.17 a few times, right? John 3.17, and this is, uh, for the Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Two verses later after that, we see today's world described. John chapter 3, verse 19, and this is the judgment, or depending on your version, and this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and people chose or loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Here's the thing. <laughs> I thought of a difference between me and my wife. You guys will appreciate this. I go in and I see a mess. I turn on the light, I see a mess. I might just flip that light back off. <laughs> Joan walks in, she sees a mess, she's flipping that light on because <laughs> she's going to clean up that mess. You know what? We live in a world of people who say, I see, you, you tell me that Jesus stuff, I don't want it. It makes me, I, they, won't, they won't agree that it makes them look bad. They'll say, it says I'm bad. Okay, what do you do when you see that you're bad? Do you love your darkness? Do you love your evil? Or do you love 
yourself enough to want to do what's right. Because it's not loving yourself that embraces evil, by the way. It's, it's, it's a laziness, a self-serving in a sense. Uh, but we live in a world that has rejected Jesus. And it's called the post-Christian because exactly that. Because Jesus came in and he's been salt and light. And we, as his people, hopefully are being salt and light. But the world is rejecting what we stand for and hating us and calling us haters because we proclaim what's right. And, and, and I'm sorry, I, I actually don't hate anybody. You know, I, I don't hate anybody that I can think of. You know, it's, it, maybe wrong person walked in. I go, oh, maybe I do. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think so. People are rejecting the light. And that is a sad reflection on humanity, but it is not a reflection on the fact that the light is shine, shone, shined. <laughs> the light shines <laughs> to all the world. The light is doing what it's supposed to. Man rejecting it does not change or minimalize how great Jesus is or the effectiveness of his sacrifice, certainly not his love and desire to reach people of every part. So what do we do with this? It's like, what do we do with this Jesus that you're talking about and all this? You know what? It, 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 it may sound like a weak ending. I don't know. But the answer is praise him. <laughs> praise him. Because God, who is so great, loved us so much that he went out into all the world to the uttermost parts to Lincoln County. I got saved in Spokane County. So, yeah. <laughs> God sent me to Lincoln County for you guys. No, that's... <laughs> I might pay for that, right? He came to us. He made sure we heard where we are. And so we end with praise. We praise you, God, because you are so great, and you made sure we recognize that, and we praise you. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Lord God, Lord Jesus, even as we shared the Lord's Supper today and remembered that you gave your body and you gave your blood for our salvation. You paid the price of our sins. Lord Jesus, you are not just someone who made a sacrifice for us. You are the, the God of gods, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the eternal one, the maker of everything that ever was made. And you loved us so much that you came for us. Lord Jesus, I, I praise you. We lift you up, we exalt you, we exalt your name, and we thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name.